It's 6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's January 26th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Friday Evening News Magazine. First up, Palisades Tahoe is back in the front pages just weeks after the deadly January 10th avalanche at the ski resort. And once again, it's not for happy reasons. We've got the details of this story and your weekend weather forecast coming up. Then, KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller is back and brings us some exciting news from the space world. Two years after its launch, the James Webb Space Telescope is now returning images of the early universe. And those images are not what was expected. Then, after half a decade with KVMR, Allie Lightfoot is stepping down from her post as the station's general manager. On tonight's news magazine, she joins KVMR news director Claudio Mendonca to discuss her time at the station. And stick around for the Friday news magazine's finale with an essay by Molly Fisk. How's life been treating you in 2024? Are you having a bad day or maybe a bad year? Well, up ahead, Molly brings you a poetic recipe in what to do when you're not feeling 100%. That's all coming up. Your Friday news magazine starts now. We start this evening with your news roundup. Palisades Tahoe is back in the front pages just weeks after the deadly January 10th avalanche at the ski resort. According to the Placer County Sheriff's Office, a large police presence descended upon the swanky Olympic Village Lodge and Resort this afternoon after an officer-involved shooting. In a press release shortly before 4 p.m., California State Parks confirmed a fatal shooting had taken place. The statement says at around 10 a.m. this morning, a state park peace officer attempted to stop a vehicle that was involved in a carjacking in Tahoe City. That pursuit ended in a traffic collision near Olympic Valley Inn at Palisades Tahoe. Once crashed, the fleeing driver exited the vehicle, armed with a knife, and an officer-involved shooting took place involving the state park officer just as a California Highway Patrol officer arrived to assist. Officers at the scene provided medical aid to the subject, but despite their efforts, the subject died. Patrick Lacey, a spokesperson with Palisades Tahoe, says the adjacent resort is open and everyone is okay and that, quote, everything is secure. The scene of the shooting, the Olympic Valley Inn, is a timeshare vacation hotel that's less than a mile north of the resort's main lodge. This from the Sacramento Bee. Now let's take a closer look at your weekend weather forecast from the National Weather Service. We'll see drier weather with patchy morning fog the next few days. For those in Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 45 degrees. Saturday, a slight chance of showers before noon and then again after 2 p.m., mostly cloudy with a high near 62. Saturday night, patchy fog before 8 with a 20% chance of showers before 10 p.m., Otherwise, it'll be mostly cloudy with a low around 49 degrees. Sunday, mostly sunny with a high near 69. Sunday night will be partly cloudy with a low around 48 degrees. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 33 degrees. A 10% chance of rain after 4 a.m. Saturday, mostly cloudy with a high near 52. A slight chance of rain before 10 a.m., then a slight chance of rain after 4 p.m. Saturday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 33 degrees, a 20% chance of rain before 10 p.m. Sunday, mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming sunny with a high near 55. 
Sunday night will be partly cloudy with a low around 32 degrees. For Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 48 degrees. Patchy fog between 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. Saturday, mostly cloudy with a high near 62. Saturday night will be mostly cloudy as well with a low around 50 degrees. Sunday, partly sunny with a high near 70. Sunday night will be partly cloudy with a low around 49 degrees. Patchy fog between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. And for Placerville and Angels Camp, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 47 degrees. Saturday, partly cloudy with a high near 63. Saturday night will be mostly cloudy with a low around 50 degrees. Sunday, mostly sunny with a high near 68. Sunday night will be partly cloudy with a low around 49 degrees. You're listening to the Friday Evening News Magazine on KVMR. The James Webb Space Telescope was launched two years ago and it's now returning images of the early universe. As expected, it's telling us things that were not expected. KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller has the story. Just as marbles come in bags, stars come in galaxies. You and I and all the stars we see at night are part of the Milky Way galaxy. There are bazillions of galaxies in the universe. It's a clear summer's night. We're enjoying a star party. Telescopes are set up. One of my favorite things to see in the scope is something of a fossil. It's a ball of stars, very old stars, maybe half a million old stars, all clumped tightly together in a globular cluster. I spoke about this with Dr. Mark Dickinson of the National Optical Infrared Research Lab in Tucson. Globular clusters, beloved target for telescopes, amateur and uh, professional telescopes. Those are mostly very old stars. When we look at globular clusters, we're probably looking at the fossil record of what happened in the early universe. Given the outrageous universe in which we live, filled with black holes and dark energy, it's natural to wonder How did the universe get to be this way? And so we study our fossils, globular clusters and such. But fossils can only tell us so much. What we really need are machines that would let us actually see back in time. We need time machines. The great thing in astronomy and cosmology is that we really can look back in time. I mean, you can't do that in many other sciences. Light travels fast. But the universe is humongous. It takes time for light to reach us from way far away. So when the light does finally reach us, it reveals to us what things looked like back then. The James Webb Space Telescope can see back to when the universe was less than half a billion years old. How much time had passed from the Big Bang creation of the universe and what we're seeing We're not catching it at the very beginning. It's only 400 million years after the Big Bang that we're seeing it. One of the earliest galaxies yet seen was named for the daughter of one of the astronomers involved in the project. Macy's galaxy is presenting some problems. There's a very clear progression of the size of galaxies over cosmic time. As we look farther and farther back in time, galaxies get smaller and smaller and smaller as you go back. 
And that's pretty consistent with what we think is how galaxies built up over time. Early in the universe, they were all in small little pieces and had many fewer stars than today's galaxies. And those pieces merged together over time. You know, what's interesting about Maisie's galaxy and other galaxies that we're finding with James Webb is that we're discovering galaxies earlier than we had ever seen with Hubble. Well, that's to be expected. That's why we built the James Webb Space Telescope is to see farther back in time uh, and farther away than Hubble was able to observe. So that was the point. The surprise has been that we found more galaxies than had been predicted and brighter galaxies than were predicted. We, you know, had done a lot of work with Hubble and other telescopes over the years, and, and we thought we had measured the number of galaxies going back in time with some level of accuracy. And then people who build theoretical models of galaxy formation and evolution turned to those earlier Hubble observations that predicted how many galaxies you should see with Webb. And the surprise in the first few months of James Webb observations was that we were finding in images candidates for galaxies that, that, that were more of them and brighter than we expected at these very early times. Does that bring up a problem with models of the evolution of the universe? I like to think of it as an opportunity rather than a problem. <laughs> now the challenge is we just have to figure out, well, what was wrong with our old models and, and how is it that uh, these galaxies were as numerous as they seem to be? Might we, with the James Webb, be able to see globular clusters in the act of forming? See how those globules of stars that we enjoy now at star parties, how they came to be. It's early days now. Um, we need to do a lot more observation with Webb to build up the statistics that will let us say, well, what are we really learning about the earliest days of galaxy formation? And are there surprises? Is there something in here that says we really do have to change our understanding of, of how galaxies formed and their earliest evolution? Mark, it's been really good talking with you. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much, Al. It's been a pleasure. I'm speaking with astronomer Dr. Mark Dickinson. For KBMR, I'm Al Staller. After half a decade with KBMR, Allie Lightfoot, the station's general manager, is stepping down. In this special conversation between KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonca and Allie, the two discuss her childhood steeped in community radio, her work bringing in the next generation of radio makers, and her advice for the station's next GM. That's ahead. So we have some big news, but before we get into that, I thought that maybe we would, you know, get to know you a little bit. Sure. You have been involved with community radio your entire life. Tell me what your first memory is related to community radio. Actually, my first memory is of community radio. Like, I remember putting on my shoes and not being able to tie my shoes. My mom was tying my shoes for me at this time and walking to what's now Colorado Public Radio and just being in that environment, you know, when I could barely walk. 
So yeah, I feel comfortable at community radio stations. And I find a lot of common themes, I guess you could say, tropes, which in some ways I think, you know, every community radio station is unique as well because they are a product of their community and every community is unique. But there are some things that you'll find at every community radio station. And so it it always makes me feel at home to walk into a station and you know, be like, I recognize that, you know, I reckon even the even the types of people that are attracted to it. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel very at home. So you've had a career in community radio. And five years ago, you came to Nevada City, and you became KVMR's general manager. Tell me about when you first got wind of our little station here in the Sierra. Well, I got wind of this area uh, before I knew about KVMR. Um, uh, traveling over here with my family about 10 years before I moved here. And I loved it. We didn't come into Nevada City. We just went into Grass Valley. And I remember thinking, like, I want to live here. Like, this place is beautiful. And I, it has everything I would want. You know, I love the Sierra foothills. I love being this close to San Francisco. I love these trees. I liked the community, too. I could just tell there was a lot of a lot going on. A lot of art influences and cool people everywhere. But I heard about the job about 10 years later. Um, Julie Chiarelli, who had been the manager before me, had met me at a conference where I was talking about youth radio project that I did called Pass the Mic. And she recommended that the board of directors, when they were doing their search, give me a call. And so they did. And here I am. <laughs> and I think they were interested in hiring me because of my background in youth radio. They were trying to get KVMRX on its feet. I, and I'm at that point, KVMRX was just an online station. And we had 105.7 as a terrestrial signal. And it was sort of nobody really knew what to do with those two things exactly. And so that was part of the reason they were talking to me because they thought I could help them figure it out. You also spearheaded the KVMR Youth News Corps. What are you most proud of? That's what I'm most proud of. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, I, I would say my proudest accomplishment is the work I've done to bring in the next generation of radio makers, but also leaders. You start to see a lot of these KVMRX DJs who are brand new, you know, been here six months um, organizing their own events, coming up with their own marketing, showing up at every event to help. You know, they're really good, strong volunteers showing up to answer the phones, that kind of thing. The next thing we'll do is have a KVMRX program committee. So I really see a very engaged, energetic group of volunteers showing up, you know, and you have to keep passing it on. That's sort of the whole point. In fact, if you look at our mission statement, you look at how the place started. It's about educating people and giving everybody sort of an equal opportunity to experience this and to have a voice and to share music and bring their perspective. So I feel like we made a lot of progress in that department before we had one training a year for KVMR. Now we're doing about four or five trainings 
a couple of them for KVMRX, still for KVMR and for our news and public affairs. And it's bringing in a lot of new people with a, a lot of good energy. It really has. And it's it's fun to see the station evolve and reflect the community at large. Allie, recently you made an announcement that you're leaving us. That's right. How come? Well, it was a really hard decision. And honestly, I was thinking about it for about a year trying to figure out another way. But my son, who's 21, who lived here for a little while, has really been struggling over the last year with mental illness and was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And for anyone who's been through that or anything like it, you know that um, a family member going through something like that needs a lot of support. And so does the family, you know, because it's a very tricky thing to navigate. Our mental health care system is complicated and broken in many ways. And so he can't do this by himself. And while I have some great friends that are helping him in Colorado, it's, you know, it's sort of a full-time job, uh, or at least I need to be spending more time with him in person. I thought about trying to bring him here. That didn't really make sense because he's in a place that is familiar to him and where he has a lot of support besides me. So unfortunately, I have to leave this beautiful place. I was looking forward to seeing how the story turns out with KVMR and, you know, continuing to build Youth News Corps, which is a great program. And I'm really proud of that, too. We have, you know, young journalists from local high schools coming in here to do a whole course with us and then staying on to file reports with our news department. You know, local journalism is in trouble. So, helping to bring a new young group of journalists to the airwaves that are interested in producing local news is a big deal. And I really wanted to stay here to keep pushing that program forward. And we had a lot of great financial support too. I want to thank the people that stepped up to make that program happen with their financial support. And these were the things, some of the things that were important to me. I love the staff more than I can say. Uh, I've never worked with such a hardworking, dynamic, dedicated, creative group of people in my life. And we built a lot of really important things together. So that was one of the things that is making this really hard. I wanted to see how Celtic would be this year. You know, it was really exciting to see Celtic happen again after four years. It was truly magical. There were moments of that festival where I was like, is this real? It just, there was such a positive vibe there. Um, and it was a lot of hard work. And it was just great to see that it paid off, essentially. Um, you know, I learned a lot from Pascal Fusewaller. I'm sure there's a lot more to learn from her. Sort of independent journalism at its finest. I was really proud of what we were able to build, the news department, what we were able to do with our emergency broadcasting was notable. And it's an important service that we provide the community and the community let us know that, you know, so 
I was really happy with the relationship we built with the Office of Emergency Services. I enjoy working with those people. And I also just want to say that I will miss the people at NAMI, which if you're not familiar, or NAMI, um, is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is a lifeline, I think, to families that are help trying to help a family member or have any sort of uh, struggles in that area. It's an incredible group of people. Look it up, N-A-M-I, if you want to learn more. It's a it's basically a support group for people who have family members that are have some sort of mental illness. Um, I'm going to miss Snowmageddon. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> we might get that in Colorado where I'm headed. Um, I'm headed back to the town that I came from when I moved here. Um, so I'm I'm headed back to a familiar place, and we get our own sort of version of Snowmageddon over there. Finally, Allie, I wanted to ask you if you could give some advice to the new general manager, whoever that may be, what would you say? I thought a lot about that because I asked – Julie, what her advice was when I got here, and she said, be a good listener. And that was excellent advice. Honestly, I'll probably say don't get too caught up in the minutia. And minutia means different things to different people. But I think you have to have vision. And you have to be a leader. You know, you can't just go down every rabbit hole that's presented. <laughs> and I'm sure you run into this when you're producing news too. Like you have a deadline, there's a hole to fill in the schedule. And sometimes things can bog you down and you have to stay very focused. So that would be my advice is to stay focused. And this community will tell you what it needs. You do have to be a good listener. This community is very clear about what is helpful or not helpful or, you know, what entertains and or doesn't. And they're very supportive of the station. It's a well-loved station. I trust the listeners. I really came to trust what they say to us. Almost every time they call, I, I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I hear what you're saying. So I think that's always a good thing to do because really that's what we're doing this for. We're doing this for the listeners. I think sometimes people get a little bit in a bubble inside these studios because you can't see the listeners, but they're there. <laughs> and I talked to a lot of them during pledge drives and they're wonderful people and a shout out to the listeners. So that would be another thing that I would maybe not not just to the new general manager, but to everyone involved, like, you know, the listeners are pretty cool people and they're the they're the folks that keep this thing happening. So that's why we do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. My guest today has been Allie Lightfoot. She's KVMR's general manager. Allie, thanks for taking the time and, and talking with me. You're welcome, Claudia. I'm gonna miss you. I'm gonna miss you too. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. If you're having a bad day, 
or even a bad year, though we're mere footsteps into 2024. I'd like to recommend you roll up your sleeves and sit on the sofa with your laptop and a nice cup of tea. Turn on the computer and look up Country Life Vlog, V-L-O-G. This will take you to YouTube and 411 videos, each one about 20 minutes long, filmed over the last five years by a former chef whose job disappeared with the pandemic. Like many of us, he had to figure out something to do with his time and probably make a little money. So he went home to his village in the Caucasus, as one does, and began recording the life of his middle-aged parents going about their day. This is not the real housewives of anywhere. These are people living in Azerbaijan who grow fruit and vegetables, raise animals, and cook huge amounts of food outdoors on little makeshift stoves. It is so amazing to watch, and it will calm you right down to the soles of your feet. I promise. For one thing, there is no soundtrack and very little talking. All you hear is 20 minutes of efficient chopping, the swish of things being stirred in huge pots, the slap of palms on bread dough, and occasional roughhousing between various cats and dogs. For a while, there's also a rascally pet crow who likes to poke everyone and steal bites of what has been chopped. If there is rain, you hear the rain. It's incredibly soothing. I, a clueless Californian, had to go look up Azerbaijan on my map of the world shower curtain and for quite a while couldn't find it since I was looking east of Uzbekistan and it's on the west side of the Caspian Sea next to Armenia. The friends who turned me on to this mentioned the location was close to ours in elevation and latitude, which made me feel strangely connected to the middle-aged couple. And I am not alone. From small beginnings in 2019, this video channel now has 6 million subscribers. I'm watching Cooking Lunch for Workers on a Winter Day. The woman has made bread dough and it's rising next to an open fire. The man and a friend are hammering something. The camera moves around and lingers on a few unidentified plants, a gray striped cat and the crow who sort of matches the cat. Now a number of carrots and what look like beef livers are being chopped, a huge number. The man is lighting a fire. A few mysteries recur from one video to the next. One is how their fires start right away with no paper and little kindling. Another is how they can preserve things without obvious pectin or a water bath. The FDA would probably arrest them. And who will be eating all this food? Also, I've seen apples on the ground in every season of the year, which seems odd. At the end of each episode, quince jam, roasting a turkey in a dragon's egg, wild sorrel, keep strawberries for winter without boiling or freezing, the man makes tea, and the couple sit down to drink it and taste some of what they've made. You can watch five or six of these in a row. They're quite addictive, but just one will cure what ails you. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California.
Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this Friday, January 26th. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Circle's Wild and Scenic Film Festival. This year's 22nd annual festival takes place February 15th through the 19th, featuring environmental and adventure films, with filmmakers, activists, workshops, celebrations, and more. Information and tickets at wildandscenicfilmfestival.org. And Mike Bratton State Farm Agency, providing over 38 years of experience with home, auto, life, and business insurance products and financial services. The Mike Bratton team are proud supporters of the Nevada County community. MikeBrattonAgency.com Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonca. Thanks for tuning in to your Friday news magazine. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Have a great weekend.